Welcome all to Bandicare the Travelers podcast. This is the third episode. It's been like three or four months since the last one. I blame uh, the the organizer of this, uh, uh, the owner, I say, of this lovely place <laughs> for that for that reason. But uh, thanks to three months of waiting, we were able to have a, a, a nice set with nice equipment. So here we are. And with me is my guest, uh, Eric Barry. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you. Is it, did I get that right? Is it Barry or Barry? Those sound identical to me, the way you're, I don't know, there's the Barry, yeah, it's good. Barry. Uh, welcome, he is a traveling comedian from, originally from the United States. Um, he's been strolling around Europe, I think, for about a year now? More or less like a year and a half, yeah. Year and a half. Um, he's currently in Prague. Popped in, to, popped in for about a week, and yeah, you know, I, I had a conversation with him the other day. Um, he has seems to have a very interesting, very fascinating background, and <laughs> I really, I really wanted to get into that. So first, let's just just know a little bit more about you. Um, so, like, just give me like just a quick, just personal introduction. Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, I'm originally from San Francisco, California. Uh, I've been like a writer my whole life, um, but uh, still have yet to find out how to actually make that into a career that I can survive in. And then I started doing comedy. Um, I first started like 10 years ago, and then I did it for a couple of years, and I stopped for a long time. I was doing more like improv and sketch. And then kind of right before the pandemic started, got back into stand-up, and then obviously had to put that on hold for a long while. And um, at that same, once the pandemic started, decided to leave the United States and uh I've been trying to kind of put my f- feet down here in Europe, but it's been it's been tough. So I've been in several cities in that year and a half. All right, interesting. So let's let's go let's go way back. So let's so let's say in school, like were you like more interested in in computer? No, what, actually, what did you study in university? Uh, in university, I was a theater major. So. Uh, and, oh, I didn't even know. Okay. Yeah, and I was like focusing largely on playwriting. Um, so I had my own theater company. You ended up in Google, but like, okay, let's go. Let's go well, ahead step it, by step. So you you studied you theater major. I was a theater major, yeah, at UC Berkeley, and um, uh, mainly doing like writing. I had my own theater company, um, so I wrote all the plays, and then I would act and direct in them as well. And um, we like took, for instance, we went to the Fringe Festival in, in Edinburgh uh, with one of the plays I had written. Um, Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, Edinburgh. Um, <laughs> We're trying to fix his mispronunciations, but hey, it's fine. It's fine. You had a lot, your whole bit about yeah, yeah, pronunciations yeah. and mispronunciations. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and so I actually got out of Berkeley very early. I got I graduated in five semesters. Um, wow. And... Yeah, and because the theater thing was going so well, I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this full time. And then I got out and realized, like, oh, it's really hard to make a living as a playwright. Um, and I didn't have, like, the student loans that I was helping to finance the theater company with anymore um, and had to get, like, a corporate job. Yeah, so it's fun. so Google was the first place I worked at. And it's so funny when people are like, how's a theater major work at Google? It's like, I don't know. Do people think that an entire business just runs on computer programmers? Like... There are other positions that need to be filled than computer Fair. programmer. Well, like, um, what positions are, 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 are designed for a 
theater based. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, what? Well, I don't know if this is like a if this is like a thing that exists outside the United States where people are like, well, this was what your major is, so I guess you're gonna live and die doing that thing you studied. Mm. Um, but for instance, I worked in the advertising department there, um, and it was like. Uh, mm. uh, so you applied for advertising. It wasn't, an, you know, it was just within the, so AdWords is like how they mainly make their money. Um, it was within that department, but it was actually working for their legal team. Um, and they had like copyright, uh, anytime like, you couldn't, um, you couldn't make a ad for, if you had like a bottled water company and then said like, just do it. Cause that's Nike's copy uh, okay. or thing. And so we worked on a on a um automated program that was like helping to flag copyright issues with their with their uh, AdWords program so actually very boring to be honest yeah that sounds very very far removed from anything you would have possibly studied i guess or like yeah. skill you would have developed yeah but it, i mean a lot of a lot of theater majors end up going into sales and stuff like that mm -hmm. because they want people who are charismatic and uh, high emotional intelligence and, you know, being able to work with people like yeah, that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, and then eventually I did get into actual advertising as like a copywriter. Um, mm, okay. so I mean, writing ads and well, like even in, so even when you were studying, like, I guess the, it mainly writing, so writing they didn't offer, uh, it wasn't as like robust of a program for playwriting that's what I wanted to focus on. That's what I was doing like in my personal life. But, um, I mean, I did like act, took acting and directing classes and like stage lighting and, um, working like the, the soundboard and stuff, which is like how I started to be able to know how to work around some of this, you know, editing mm -hmm. software and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So I guess, so like how, how was your time at Google? Like what, because this was a this is a very long time ago. Like, what what year did you did you get into Google? Like, how? Uh, uh, I believe I started in December two thousand six. December two thousand six. Yeah. Um, so like one year after they acquired YouTube, like. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Golden age, man. Yeah, actually, Sheryl Sandberg, like the COO of Facebook, had an office that was like, you know. 15 meters down from where I was sitting because um, she was at Google at the time um, and was known for being very mean and yelling at people. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was back when I think startups had this like luster of like, Ooh, look, you get to ride a scooter down the hallway and there's like a ball pit and free food and you get your haircut there and your oil changed. And everyone thought that meant that that was like a good company in reality, it's like they never wanted you to leave the office. You know what I mean? Like that was their way of, we don't want you to take a lunch break and go somewhere else to eat. We want you to eat right here so that you can eat at your desk and all this other kind of stuff. Same thing with like, um, not so long ago. I mean, you know, I'll say kind of pre-Google, most offices had like cubicles or mm -hmm. offices. Yeah. You, know, you had your own little like space. Yeah, and like, mm, it encourages creativity. So you can, and that's literally like, they've done every study. It's the exact opposite of that. Like, it's so much more distracting when True. you have someone sitting there, or like, you're trying to like eat a sandwich and someone's sitting across from you just staring at your face. Like, it's, you know, makes you all self conscious and stuff. Um, the reality is, is they just want to pack as many people in as possible and save money. But, but it's, it's a lot more social when it's open. It's like so easy. I mean, I remember when I was, when I worked in, in an office, like, there was so much. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but like there was so much opportunity to socialize with, with people all the time. And like we ended up 
I don't know if that's kind of like the point. It's like to be, I don't know, like to be talking with people from the office all the time. These, I don't know. It just shows that it, it, it dramatically like decreases productivity. And, it, like, it most definitely does. Like I would say, as someone who has experience like working in the office and work from home, like work from home is infinitely more. Like if you're just looking at the productivity, it's like, yeah, I can do a lot more at home because I don't have to chat with people. Right? Like, you you only talk to people when you need to when right. you're at home, right? Right. So it's right. like it's literally the the definition of of productivity. So yeah. But then, oh, I guess it begs the question of like, is is our open offices like better than than closed offices? Well, not, now that's even I think that's not even the question people are having now. It's the real debate is, I guess, work from home versus working. Yeah, I mean, I hope that's one thing that sticks from this pandemic. Because, oh, it's, it's sticking. Uh, well, I don't know because I've been like in in uh, you know I have my eye on a lot of jobs in the U.S. and like. You know, they're like, oh, we're we're going fully virtual. And then, like, as soon as, like, people thought, you know, the first time people thought the pandemic was kind of ending, um, they're like, just kidding. Everyone's going to come back in two months. And, like... But they've been saying that for a while. Right? Well, but then, because the pandemic's not ending. Like, I just hope that... Hmm. It, it's so unnecessary, especially, like, right, it's expensive if you want to live, like, central in a city. Yes. Um and so then if you don't, you know, there's people who are commuting like, you know, an hour one way or whatever. And it's like, True. that is not a good use of anyone's time. And it's stressful. And um, so I do hope that the virtual thing sticks. It's nice uh, in the EU. Um, I, I mean, I guess this United States is the same thing, like in terms of state to state. But like, yeah, like the idea that I could potentially work for like a German company while living. In yeah, that's Although appealing. Even like, like even in the EU. It's not as easy as you might think, mm. um, especially for full-time positions. Like if it's part-time, it's more or less you can get away with it more for the most part. But especially for full-time, there and you're spending. If you're spending like I think there's like a whole limit. It's like hey, if you're spending more than one month outside of the country that you're working full-time, that that kind of raises a lot of question marks, um, uh, in terms of like taxes. Yeah. All of this shit, so like that, that really complicates things. Yeah, I've had that happen with a couple of US jobs where they're like, no, don't worry, we're fully remote. And I'm like, cool, I'm in Berlin. And they're like, oh, just kidding, <laughs> because of the tax thing, you know? Um, it is, it is, it is like a big, a big headache for, for companies, but it's also a big headache, I guess, for governments. Like, they don't really know how to, how to tax. Yeah. How can I tax you if you're not living in my country? Yeah. What right do I, well, other, except other than the US, the US can do that and does that all the time. Uh, but other countries kind of struggle, yeah, uh, to 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 enforce that. But anyways, I think we we went on quite a big of a tangent. The point, how, yeah. So you worked at Google for how long? I was just on a contract there for I think six months, and then uh, ended up switching to a startup in San Francisco, um, and did that same thing contract for like three months, and then like I got a finally got like a salaried permanent position at an advertising agency. Right. And how long did you work in, in that place? Um, I had some, like, like a year and nine months or something. It was right when like the 2008 like crash was happening and I saw people getting laid off all around me. Uh, and I figured it was just a matter of time before it happened to me. So I like proactively actually found another job and left the company. My boss was like, his eyes like bugged out because in this economy at the time where everyone was clinging desperately to their jobs. Yeah, the idea that I quit. Yeah. 
you were going exactly you were going yeah. ahead of the curve and leaving a job. I was on a sinking ship though, you know, so like I knew I had you to tell, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's always it's always it's always amazing like that like employees of the company can tell like when the company's doing good. Yeah. Make the make the moves, start making the moves themselves. Yeah. Um and so well, you got this this other job but you worked there I assume uh well so it was the same kind of position? No, this was working, um, I was working in like print production um, and the main client was like, so every time you see a label on like the label on this drink or whatever, oh. like there's certain colors that they're like trying to print this to or like knowing the material that sticks to the bottle and you know, making sure that the photo looks right, like all this kind of stuff. Honestly, it was very boring. All, all these are very boring jobs. Um, Surprising. Yeah, but uh, but it paid a lot. And um, and again, I thought I was going to get fired from the other job. So I, um, yeah, I, I jumped to that. And then... Uh, uh, I mean, from the looks of it, I guess you didn't really have what you would call a consistent career, like in one thing. You were kind of just jumping around. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I I was working, like, in advertising and marketing. I mean, those are... I guess, in the same departments, you could do, let's say. Yeah, uh, and then uh, eventually got into advertising as a copywriter, and that's been, you know, creative director, that kind of thing. Like, that's that's been fairly consistent, I'll say. Um, so so what, what time did you, like, start that? Or? Uh, well, I mean, so I was at the advertising agency after I left Google and that, um, they won like a bunch of awards, like very creative place. Um, nice. they started, uh, I don't know if you guys know it over here, but it's the most famous ad campaign in the history of the United States, um, called got milk. Um, and if you've ever seen like t-shirts or anything that like say got milk with a question mark or anything like, I think, I think I've heard of this, it's more of like as a meme than, I don't know if it's yeah. got milk. What was this an advertisement for? For for this milk for milk <laughs> for um, got milk <laughs> for uh yeah I think it was like the California Fluid Milk Processors Board I don't know some organization okay. that produces milk um but they were like very funny very creative commercials and yeah it started you know went on for years and years and years um and yeah memes and all that kind of stuff came out of that um. But, uh, yeah, so then um, I, I first really started working as a copywriter, though, in Chicago, and I think that was, like, in 2014. Wow. Chicago, that's, that's going to jump from San Francisco, right? Yeah, it's, it's like a four-hour flight. Um, yeah, I, uh, it, that, that I left in January 2014, and I had already seen San Francisco change so much from, like, this cool, artsy, creative, independent city to, like, just being overrun with tech. Um, and becoming really like stripping out a lot of the character and like creativity from the city uh, and it just becoming like prohibitively expensive um, but like it's crazy the amount of people that well I guess it's just the way inflation works but the amount of people that have moved to San Francisco and like the amount of trouble the problems that you hear even as, an, as someone who's I haven't even been to the US the fact that I know like the, the like fucking overpopulation and homeless problems in San Francisco like, yeah. is a testament to how many people want to live there, how many people are moving, how many yeah. people, and like I mean that's that's why it's so expensive. It's prohibitively expensive. Yeah, I mean the funny thing is San Francisco has rent control, so my meaning once you're locked in, your landlord can't raise the rent more than I think 
annually more than the whatever the Inflation? national interest rate is. I think. No national interest. Okay. Um, That's interesting. It's very different. So, like, my, for instance, and then you know, if you're in like a f- shared flat, you move in, you're under the lease of the original person, so you're like a subtenant. So, like, when I moved in, actually, I'll just say when I moved out, I had a phenomenal, like, a huge, massive uh, room. I mean, really big overlooking the street on a hate street. It was like beautiful. And, uh, and my rent was like $535, you know, not this like $4,000 thing you hear. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, there's no middle ground. Like when you first move into an apartment, it's so expensive. Now, if you stay in that apartment for 10 years, it's your rent's not going to go up at all. So then it becomes like, so you have, yeah, I mean, there's so people, like over 10 years, you won't pay that much, but like <laughs> presuming. You yeah. Know, I mean, there's people, there's people home. there though, like who've lived in their same apartment for like 30 years or whatever, you know, and they're like, that's their home. That's the dream. Huh? <laughs> I mean, you know, if they're happy where they are. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so it's, it's a tricky thing. And then like with the home, there's, there's, there are homeless people everywhere. Um, but it, most of those are not San Franciscans who are homeless. It's people who were homeless who came to San Francisco because mm-hmm. the city has good social services. Because, like in Chicago, if you're homeless, you would die in the winter. Do you know what I mean? It's like whatever you know, negative ten Celsius or whatever. Like, uh, so whereas in San Francisco, like it's not it's not hot like Los Angeles, but like you can like survive outside. Um, and uh, I mean, Los Angeles has a homeless problem too. But like uh, California is like. If you have to choose a state to be homeless in, it's mm, not it's, the It's one of the best. Yeah, you know, like, so a lot of people hop, they call them like train hoppers, like they'll hop on trains uh, and travel across the U.S. to come to California. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just hear about the homeless world. I never cared to, to think about, like, what the what the reason is. Like, I mean, at least one of the... We're really diverging though from from okay, where sorry. I wanted to focus. Uh, fuck, I don't mean this literally, but fuck the homeless. So where where did I want to talk? Um, oh. um, yeah. So okay. So so you worked in creative directing for a while, mm-hmm. um, and but so how did you move from that to like here uh, so i'm trying to connect the dot yeah so i started doing stand-up in san francisco um oh, okay what what year did you start uh, i started the day steve jobs died um <laughs> okay. i think it was october 6 2011 no that's one way to remember a day it's the day this famous guy died okay. i just remember the hackiest jokes myself and everyone else oh was making God. it was on. like it was like the you know introducing the i don't have pancreatic cancer or something or like you know um curing pancreatic cancer mm, there's not an app for that you know like, <laughs> we're actually making this these jokes like, uh, every, the death, death. yeah i mean everybody was um but yeah yeah comedians have zero mercy okay zero chill all right so what was I mean, this is for me. This is probably the the part where I'll stay on the most. But like, like, what inspired you to start comedy? Did you just hop in? I, I've loved comedy since I was a kid. Like, I, performing or otherwise, like I've always been. Sorry, I have like chips all over me. Um, comedy nerd. Like uh, when I was when my parents were, they would watch David Letterman, like the talk show, um, which I loved. And but this would come on at like eleven thirty at night. And I was supposed to be asleep in bed. And I remember, like, sneaking in my parents' room, like, crawling on the floor. I'm, like, watching it, like, 
um, just cracking up. Like I grew up in like the golden age when like the Simpsons was amazing. Um, this kind of stuff. Uh, so I always was obsessed with comedy and I've always been a writer and I've always written funny things, but I didn't know. It seems so unattainable to be a professional comedian or mm. to do comedy. Like I didn't know how, how do you do that? How do you get mm. started? Um, so it wasn't till I discovered, like, I never heard of like open mics or anything. Mm-mm. Uh, and then once I discovered that, um, you just randomly ran into like an open mic club and you're like, let's do it. Yeah. San Francisco had a bunch. Actually, there's a, it's quite famous. Like it'll come up on podcasts and stuff, but this place called the brainwash and it was a laundromat that did comedy. <laughs> So people nice. would be washing their clothes. <laughs> I'm listening to Yeah, okay. yeah. They had a cafe built in, but like what a weird concept. Um, and they actually went out of business a couple of years ago, sadly. But like there's like, I mean, famous comedians who like got their start there. And yeah. Um, Laundry. Now I can. Yeah. And Facebook actually helped a lot because mm-hmm. then you started having like groups. Like there's the Bay Area Comedy Network, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that lists all the mics and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, kind of. Uh, if you can imagine like a pre Facebook era, uh, that stuff wasn't, you know, how would you know, you know, you had to be word of mouth or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, and then you start meeting comedians, you start seeing how they're performing and you kind of think, okay, I can do better than that or whatever, yeah. you know, and you then could, you're like, fuck it, let's try. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I loved it. Um, and continue doing, it's a lot harder to like get, to get into the scene in the U.S. than it is here. Well, uh, I, I mean, being successful, whatever that means, like, I mean, it's highly competitive there, but you, I mean, anybody can go to an open mic and perform and they're everywhere. Mm. Like, I mean, well, I, I've heard stories, I think Julia said this, like, like, she would go to open mics where, like, you would have, like, two minute, two minutes to, like, speak or, like, you yeah. have to pay to be a part of the open mic. It's, like, it, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's uh, the two minutes. I've never seen two minutes. Um, I've seen three minutes. <laughs> I've seen three minutes. And it's because there's so many people that are interested in doing mm-hmm. it. Like, at that brainwash thing, for instance, like, I think they'd open up the signups at, like, 4 p.m. And the show wouldn't start till 7. And so it's, like, you're getting there three hours earlier to sign up. And then you could be get there at four and you're 15th in line. And now it's like, I mean, so it gets exhausting in that way. It takes a lot of time. Um, And then imagine listening to like 20 comedians on the same night. Yeah. I mean, in New York uh, is the only place I've been that has paid paid mics in Manhattan. And that sucks because Mm -hmm. you're paying at 3 p.m. where there's nobody to be in like a basement of a bar. It's only just other comedians and you're paying... uh, five dollars or you have to buy a drink or something um to perform to people who aren't interested in hearing you you know and yeah i mean on one hand i guess it's good that like if you make the comedians laugh because they're not paying attention they're just looking at their notes and whatever you know you have something solid you know Mm. um true true because it's so competitive if you can stand out in the environment like yeah and it's just people aren't interested in hearing you you know they've probably seen you perform hundred times before they're not interested in hearing you try out your jokes. Um, uh, so what's nice about Europe is like, you can get an audience of real people. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that, an open mic, yeah. yeah, that's hard to do, especially in New York. That's hard to do. Um, yeah. but I think what we're seeing now, well, when I say now, I mean like the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but like 
the idea of producing your own shows at like one-off nights at bars and stuff. Like yeah. you don't have to go to a comedy club. You can go to a bar and, and produce just, your own show. Yeah, yeah. Just do your own comedy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is amazing that like now it's so common. Like you, you go to any city, any big city, let's say in Europe, and like they probably have some form of English yeah which is insane when you think about it i was shocked because i was i was trying to figure out where to go um after berlin i'll try to connect the dots but like um but uh i'm like looking at like bucharest and stuff and it's like yeah there's like an english-speaking comedy scene there and then i've been talking with comedians in europe and even in places where there's not a consistent scene if you were to bring an english-speaking show there like they're like it's really yeah it's like this whole like if you build it they will come kind of thing um so uh, that's encouraging, and that's something that I think you don't see in the U.S., uh, which is really nice about here. Yeah, I guess they're like, well, the scene's much bigger, it's a lot more established, it's just a lot more competitive. So, um, but like, like you do, you you do still like, <laughs> I mean, in, in in the U.S., you you can already go to any city, even sometimes like small towns, and they'll have, you know, their their bar will have like a comedy sure. scene or a comedy a place for a comedian to chill at. Uh, there's this one like American comedian that I follow, Steve Hofstetter. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy, like he he sort of makes a joke about tr- going and like every time he would go to a new small town, he would just make fun of that town, and then uh, like every small town would have like its own rivalry where like they're proud that they're like maybe 10 people bigger than the next town. And it's, uh-huh. it's crazy. Like, yeah. Um, that places that small in the U S would even have <laughs> yeah. such a thing. Uh, so like definitely the U S is still ahead of like Europe in that, in that sense. I doubt you can go to the smallest town in Pro in Czech Republic. And <laughs> no, scene, but, yeah. but I think like there's more, um, there's more opportunity to carve your own path here, you know? Mm. Um, and the U S has comedy clubs, which is good. In some ways, I don't know. It's kind of like the difference between, um, like having a. Well, I can't think of a good example. Like I was gonna say, like a network, like picking up your television show, versus somewhat similar yeah, making your I own YouTube you series. You know, because the thing is, the scenes here is something. I also, even I haven't didn't realize until recently. But the the comedy scene here is incredibly like people run and not really institution or like network run. I guess which is like you literally just like. You meet some guy. You meet some guy like one time at a show. He invites you over to his show in his city, and that's it. Now you know, and then that's that's the only way things happen. Like I've met, yeah. you know, here in Prague, I've met a couple of people from Germany. They've invited me a couple of people from Amsterdam. They've invited me a couple of people from Portugal or Barcelona or whatever. Yeah, and so and that's 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 just how and the, because of the ease of travel and everyone moving around all the time. Um, you really do get like a chance to connect with the comedy scene all over, all over Europe. Yeah, I mean it's, yeah, awesome. uh, for sure. Like, I mean, how many places have you been since you've been from here? So I never performed out of it. So, so I was in, uh, I was in San Francisco performing comedy. Then I left to you know twenty fourteen. Started doing stand up in in Chicago, um, which is like a totally different vibe to the scene. Um, and they're known for being like a big improv and sketch city. And eventually, like, I started getting to that as well. Mm. Um, was, you did improv? Yeah, I did. I did, uh, actually started improv in, in San Francisco at a place called End Games. And then. You know, there's an improv club here. I didn't know that. 
Yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't, I haven't I, so hook you I up, improv. Boy. I haven't. I, I mean, I find improv to be super fun to do, and I think it looks it's, so fucking hard. Though. I don't know how people do it. I look at people and it's like they fucking have to rhyme on the spot. I'm like, well, that's like maybe like short form improv versus long form, which is like mm. more like world building and scene building and stuff. Um, and I find that to be super fun to do. I actually think it's easier. Um, wow. Because you don't get judged as hard. Like, you That's can just true. come up with some stupid thing on the spot and people will eat it up. You know, they'll, they'll die laughing. Whereas, like, um, as we could see as evidenced by my performance last night, you can, <coughs> sorry, you can really die on stage as a comedian, you know? Um, and, and that's, it's, such an ego blow in a way that improv is not, it doesn't have. I think people in improv also are generally healthier. They, they know how to work with people. You know, there's a give and take, um, an emotional stability that's uh, not as prevalent in stand-up comedy. Um, but yeah, I did that. And then I moved to New York and, um, and then was there for three years. And just towards the end, I did improv also in, in New York, but then towards the end, got back into stand-up. Um, so, so then pandemic. Decided I was done with the U.S. I thought Trump was going to get reelected. I wasn't into that. Um, and comedy was dead in New York City. And so decided to try to move to Germany. And that became this wait, long... Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to have to stop you right there. Yeah. What do you mean by comedy is dead in New York City? Well, during the pandemic, I mean, everything was uh, closed. Like, okay. you couldn't, uh, you know... Comedy was dead everywhere. <laughs> that is yeah, but I mean, that was the... Like, what was the point? I had to... I was coming up on a year of my lease, and I had to figure out if I wanted to renew my lease. And I was like, what is the point of staying in this expensive city i didn't true, have a job true. at the time like you know and so i decided you know what? i'm gonna give europe a shot um and that's become it's that i'm still on that journey now to like figure out where i'm gonna land uh but berlin has been like i guess like the home base of sorts um mm. but uh so on the journey to get to berlin because there were no flights from the u.s to berlin directly yeah, yeah um i went through barcelona and i stayed there for what was supposed to be eight days Performed comedy there, um, the comedy clubhouse, and yeah, another. Yeah, the, the comedians at Barcelona are amazing. Yeah, uh, and ended up getting, even though I was vaccinated, ended up getting COVID in Barcelona. Nice. Either gave it to or got it from uh, Matthew Murtha, who's a comedian there who runs the comedy clubhouse. So we both had to quarantine, and so I had to cancel my flight to Berlin. I had to stay there like another eight days or whatever it was, um, and uh, so that was the first time that I ever performed outside the United States. Is where I'm going with that. And then um, performed in in uh, in yeah in Berlin and um, for a while yeah and then it was really only this last five or six weeks when I um, couldn't find housing in Berlin and took a train to go through Central Europe that I started performing all these other places. Actually, where did you meet Julia? Uh, here, I met her at um, the London Underground. Oh. Yeah, at a show, and we were both on the same show, but I didn't see her perform and she didn't see me perform, but we just. Yeah, we still knew, knew each other enough to apparently house one another. <laughs> she needed she needed someone to watch her cats, and um, I didn't have housing, and so she said, "Well, maybe it could work for you to stay at my place." And so that's kind of how that happened. But um, yeah, so now for me, it's super cool because I can say I've performed, you know, in many places in the U.S., but like, uh, yeah, in you know, Germany, Czech Republic, Hungary, Poland, um, and hopefully. No, Spain, uh, hopefully more places more, to be added to that. To come, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I mean, so, mm, it, so I guess this is just to understand the U.S. scene a bit more. So, like, do comedians travel nearly as often in the U.S. as they do here? 
Mm, no. Um, if you're if you're a professional comedian, yes. Or if you're like trying to um, get you, I mean, you can just do it kind of for fun or whatever. But like, uh, most people have like their city that they live in, and that's kind of where they perform. And then it's like a big deal. Like if you're quote unquote trying to make it, you either move to New York or Los Angeles because um, that's where the industry is, and that's something that I think is not pre- here in Europe you know, apart from London, um, but that I think there's potential to develop, which is an, an industry, which basically kind of means television, but like, or, you know, Netflix or whatever. Um, yeah. Because that's that's why people move to New York or LA. It's because that's where that stuff is. And that's how you can make yeah, a living. Of that. But the thing is, I think it's probably, even though it's, I guess it's easier to get your boots off the ground here and just, get into the scene, get an audience, uh, get a few shows. I think it's a lot harder to like, I guess, reach the top or it's even, uh, I would say the top isn't really that high here than it is, I guess, in the US. It's like, like when you ask me who's the biggest European comedian, like I, I can tell you the biggest one I've met and yeah, like, uh, he's like doing a bit better than us. Like it's not that, <laughs> who? Do, do you know, do you know Tamir? Katana. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like he's probably the biggest one like I've met. But like I, I mean, I've only been, I've only been, I've only been the comedy scene for like what four, five months. Like, yeah, yeah. Since July this year. Wait, that's seven months. Holy shit, man! Time flies. Yeah, there's that that I have encountered or I'm aware of. There's like maybe ten comedians I've encountered in Europe who are like making a living doing it. Like, yeah, yeah, making a living. I mean, there's. There's like two or three here in Prague that are making a living, but like when you say making a living, it's like, you know, like I probably make more of a living working like, like basic introductory IT job like than they are. But yeah, like it's still amazing that you can make a living. I mean, and that's that's something that I think that's what I when I say opportunity, like that I think is uh, if I can use the word easier to do here than in the US. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, for sure. Like just just to. Like that, that kind of like just basic living, yeah. But there's, there are by no means Dave Chappelle's in Europe, like you know, big, no, big, I, or but, like who's the other guy? No, the bigger guy, Kevin Hart. There we go. I think every country That's has its like name. two or like. I mean, I'm leaving, I'm leaving like like uh, I'm leaving like the UK and Ireland out of this just because they're like English speaking and that does make a difference. Like, but like I know like France has like two or three like big comedians and Germany has like two like big i mean these are people mm. uh i think uh he's not even a stand-up like this guy jan boomerman and he has like a super popular podcast and like news like kind of like the daily show but for german um and then there's like one other guy i think who got a netflix special but like even germans will say like german the the, the most famous german comedian is not that funny <laughs> like you know and like these are Ger- I, I can't I, i'm not saying that i can't even i can't even understand you know i can't understand it but these are germans that are saying that and so i also think that that's potentially why you see like a lot of um popularity with like english-speaking comedy is like germans will say like for instance there's not as much flexibility in the german language as there is in english so it's it's not that mm. germans are inherently less funny it's that the language doesn't the language fucking sucks well like for instance like the verb always has to come at the end of the sentence so you you have to structure your jokes where the verb is at the end yeah um oh, and that know. that affects how you can play with yeah. language and all that stuff um english is like a sloppier language you know <laughs> so you can like <laughs> play with it more um anything works anything goes 
Yeah. I never actually thought of that. Yeah. But like, I guess it does make sense because I know an Egyptian comedian. Yeah. Who was very big in Egypt. And Egypt is sort of like the heart of the Arab world. So anyone who gets popular in Egypt gets popular in Saudi, Syria and all the other Arab countries. Um, but this, like, he was pretty much like the biggest, I forget his name. He was pretty much the biggest, um, like, Egyptian comedian for a while. And yeah. then he tried to get into English and he just kind of sucked. Yeah. And he was complaining that, like, the English language is is actually, like, it was for him, it was like, it was so, it was much harder. It was like, yeah. like, like, I'm used to, Ar- like, Arabic has maybe the opposite of German. It's like so many ways you can play with, with words and it's, it's very easy to, this just sounds weird, but it's very easy to rhyme with Arabic. Okay. And so it's like, like, if you're even just a little bit good, you can like make every joke rhyme. Okay. Kinda, it becomes okay. almost like a... Like lyrical? Uh, like... Like people who are good with words sound like they're always like poets. Like, they, yeah. they, 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 like it sounds natural. To sure. Them. And so, and that lyrical like effects, is like, it's, it's hard to... Needless to say, like it's 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 hard to achieve in your own language. So to get step into another language, and, to, <laughs> and it's much it's 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 not that hard to rhyme in English, but it's definitely harder than in in Arabic. So yeah, yeah. I I mean it's there are non-native English-speaking comedians who I think like their brain and their writing is super funny, and I'm not saying this to be like you know American exceptionalism or like anything mm-hmm. kind of like ethnocentric or whatever. But I'm I'm just being honest as like a comedy guy they are fighting a huge uphill battle mm. not because they are not like funny in their soul but basim yusuf fuck i just remembered his name okay get, what's, his, what's his name basim basim yusuf basim yusuf okay he um, came on the daily show once yeah it sounds like a, i maybe have heard this name before um but uh but these people when english isn't their native language just like the intonation of of how to speak and like literally sometimes like you'll They'll say something really funny and the audience doesn't laugh because they genuinely don't understand what the what person said, you know? And that's like so, so sad. sad. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate because <laughs> it's not, it's not that. And- see, I see it so much here. It's Whoa. actually, oh my God, I just remembered. So on like maybe the first or second time I went to a stand-up, right? There was this one Czech guy who clearly was struggling with English. Uh-huh. But this guy, like... It wasn't even the words he was saying, but just the... And this is the problem. It's like, the way he was saying things was so fucking yeah. funny. Yeah. And he can tell. And, like, that's the thing. He made... Like, the audience laughed more during his set than during any other comedian set. But it wasn't because of his... <laughs> right. It was such a bad feeling because... You could tell that people were laughing because his English was funny. Yeah. And he could tell them. And, like, he literally, like, got angry towards the end. And he was like, why are you laughing? Yeah. <laughs> But it's like it's exactly what you say. It's like, like what can you do to for a person? Like well, so so there's a comedian. She's super funny in um in Berlin named Moni Zhang, and she's Chinese, and she sounds super fucking Chinese. And she plays that to her, and she's 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 aware of like the stereotypes of like the kind of um yeah. Uh, uh, what's like docile, but like uh, you know, like the domesticated, shy Asian woman, whatever. And she, and she plays that because she contrasts to that with what she says, and she says it in the, like I don't know how how else to say, it. like she says it in this very Chinese way, like the intonation, whatever. But then what comes out of her mouth is like the most horrendous like stuff, and so it's it's you, you know it's very unexpected when you and and so she knows how to like 
use her manner of speaking in a very funny way. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I don't know if that works for like every language, but like. Oh my god! Now you just reminded me. There's. A, do you, I assume you're familiar with Bo Burnham. Yeah, of course. He has <laughs> one of one of his songs. He has like this line, which is like, "Stand-up comedy is actually very easy." If you're a Chinese comic, just stand up and do a Chinese accent, because everyone laughs at the Chinese accent. I'm not familiar with this song, but yeah. It's like, because silently they thought your people were laughable, and now you gave them an excuse to let, express it in public. Oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that's, there's Bo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting, like, people can some, like, can take that difficulty or those accents that you might think are limiting and 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 play that too. i would say christina here in prague is one of those people i mean mm. her her english isn't bad per se but her accent is very strong mm-hmm. and she really does a good way of um like not i guess not being ashamed of it and like just playing it up in some places so i don't i don't know if you've heard this one of her jokes but like she goes like um you know she she's putting her profile uh her dating profile on tinder and grinder but uh-huh. she doesn't say it grinder she says it like tinder and grinder and it's just yeah, so yeah. fucking much it's yeah, a lot yeah, more yeah, funny yeah. because of that yeah um <laughs> <laughs> to great success on both platforms well, yeah. that's a pretty good christina impression right <laughs> <laughs> um oh, man, I love yeah is it the one where she says she's like she she's like i'm I've gained uh, some weight, so I use this picture from 1997. That is and not a good Christina. That is all right. This is a, I look like a little boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. I love Christina. She's amazing. Um, imagine if she hears this. She's like, these pieces of shit. I'm never inviting you again. <laughs> but no, no, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah. All right. So now, doing comedy, I assume. You're not making that much money off of it yet. I'm making z- nothing. I'm, okay. I don't, what the last. You time- don't have to tell us you're broke, bro. <laughs> but no, no, that's fine. But the plan is yeah. to eventually. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. been the plan for a long time. But <laughs> how to do that? I mean, and I'm not the only person who's like, you know, would love that, but can't doesn't know how to make it happen. But I feel like I see, like I'm a very like self producer, self starter guy. Mm-mm-mm. I had my first podcast in April 2012. Like, uh, holy shit, yeah, but I assume it's not the same one that's on now, yeah. No, I got sued by a porn company. Holy, fuck, bro, what? <laughs> I thought you just got lazy like everyone else. I thought you got sued, okay. No, I got sued. Um, yikes, bro, you as a scare, uh, yeah. Actually, three of the four people from this porn, it was a porn company that sued me, are now in prison. Thank god, holy, fuck, yeah, bro, okay. Can we go into this story? Like, what sure. the <laughs> Sure. Uh, at a certain point, I wasn't legally allowed to say anything, but uh, fuck those guys. They are horrible people who are in prison, and I think uh, a judge would recognize that now. Uh, basically, I, so I used to, I mean, I'm a writer, and I used to write about sex and dating, and I had a podcast about sex and dating. Okay. And um, there was this story um, where this girl this 18 year old was crowned like miss teen delaware like some beauty pageant thing and as immediately after she was crowned it came out that like four months before she had done porn and everyone was writing like oh i thought she was the girl next door isn't this horrible that she did porn and like i'm a very pro like sex worker rights guy and like i don't think there should be any shame around any of that stuff and uh 
the company, like the porn company that she had worked for, like started saying, like, look, see, Miss Teen Delaware, blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was super screwed up that they were exploiting, like... Profiting off of the fact that she won that beauty contest. Yeah, and also, like, one of the agreements in any upstanding porn company is that the reason why they use stage names and stuff is because men are creepy and will stalk them and, you mm-hmm. know, just for career things. So the, the idea that they were outing her with her real name and all that stuff, I thought was super messed up. And so as I started like to look into this company, I actually, I was like, wait, this reminds me of, I'd see these ads on Craigslist, like back in the day where they'd be like looking for models, 18 to 22, no experience necessary. How they get you in. Yeah. No experience necessary. $1,500 must, you know, send photos of this, this, and that. And it wasn't saying porn. It was saying modeling. I'm like, what model? Like, this sounds so shady. And it was years before. And then when I started looking at the company that had outed this girl, I'm like, this sounds like super familiar to this other thing. And like, I started researching and I found out that that was the same company that was like, had this like shell company for models that was like using them to like, yeah, uh, you know, snare them into, is that a word? Ensnare? I don't know. Anyway, bring them into, um, snare, yeah. yeah. Um, thanks. Uh, to put a snare. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a snare is a trap, by the way. So yes. Snare is a trap. Yeah. 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 It's correct. <laughs> um, and but so, yeah. and so I ended up finding out there was a company and they, I found out that they like had all this illegal shit. They were tied to like Russian arms dealers, like all this kind of stuff. I did. It's the only time, like, I'm not a journalist. I've never said I was a journalist, but I did a journal, like investigative journalism piece into this. And I, I outed them on, um, this website I was writing for. And then like my other buddy who's a, who is a professional movie critic and writer picked up that story and put it out. And so anyway, what would happen is when, when you would, um, these, they would recruit girls through this company called Bubblegum Casting. Um, and if you Googled, is Bubblegum Casting legitimate? They had paid all this, like for like SEO stuff, all these people to write like fake, I had a great experience, da 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 da, across all these blogs so that that's what would show up until I wrote my piece and I, per- you know, I knew SEO stuff. So it said, Bubblegum bubblegum casting, aka girls do porn, a shady blah, blah, blah. Like, so anytime people were questioning bubblegum casting, my thing would come up, which was bad for their business. Mm. And so they sued me for defamation, uh, which is was not true, but they had tens of millions of dollars and I was just like a fucking blogger. And so uh, basically I had to get $5,000 together to hire a lawyer just to make it go away, which meant I had to agree to never say what I just said <laughs> and uh, remove the article and uh, any podcasts that were associated with that. But they like launched, it's called like, called like a black hat SEO attack. Like they hired some company in, um, in, in Pakistan to like, yeah, to, to link like literally, literally 2 million web pages linking into my site from that were like Eric Berry child molester uh Eric Berry rapist like all this kind of stuff which you know for Google's SEO like lowers your ranking and whatever because so uh anyway I had to like it tanked my numbers on the podcast and um I had to stop doing that and um dude they were they were hiring they were hiring private investigators to follow me like literally banging on my door at night um, they called my work where I was working at the time in Chicago and, uh, they wouldn't leave their name or anything, but with the receptionist, 
she's like, Eric, someone wanted to leave a message for you. They wouldn't say who they were or where they're calling from. And they just said the message is the curtains are closed. I was like, what? And that day, like, I was, like, running late to work, and I hadn't opened my curtains. So I left my curtains closed to my bedroom. So they were letting me know that they were looking in, outside my, like, it was creepy as hell, man. God. So so the good part of the story is fast forward like three years later, I'm living in New York and I get a call from like a lawyer and he's like, can we talk about it? And I'm so scared of these people. I'm like, is this legit? <laughs> Needless to say, yeah. being a little scared. Yeah. Uh, and and they there was a lawyer who had seen my article before it was removed and I was getting messages from women who'd worked for them that were like, mm. thank you for writing this. Like they're creepy, whatever. They put together a class action lawsuit and eventually a legal uh, uh, the, the Department of Justice, I think, in the United States, like, got involved because they were, like, kidnapping women. They wouldn't le- let them leave the room until, like, they, like, fucked all the guys. Like, and they, they said that they were, it was just going to appear on, like, a DVD in Australia and would never go on the internet, like, all this stuff. Three of the four guys are in prison right now. And the other one is, like, on the lamb. They think, like, hiding in New Zealand somewhere. The main guy, Michael Pratt, is his name. Anyway, um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That wow. Yeah, it was intense, man. Like it was, uh, but I'm, you know, Damn, they were so? brought to justice. I definitely didn't yeah. expect, like, of all the segues, I thought <laughs> this might go into. It's like, es- like investigative German journalism, espionage. I don't know. Like, <laughs> if you Google "girls do porn," you'll see all these media outlets now have written about them and, and all the shady stuff. Like, I'm not the only guy who who knows about this now. Yeah. Well, yeah, now it's common knowledge, but, like, you were one of the, the, the people who I, 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 I literally, I mean, I literally was. Like, no one had, and it was just through coincidence of remembering this old Craigslist ads that I would see. And so, then, yeah. I don't know. The first crusader against the the porn industry, in a way. <laughs> no, I, and the thing is, like, I'm not anti-porn at all. I'm, like, very... No, not, not, not porn, but, like, let's just say... I don't know, the evil side of the adult industry. I'm just, an- well, I mean, I'm anti-kidnapping and raping women. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> bold stance there. But, like, yeah, uh, no, they're super shady. But that's the thing. It's like, like, I think all of these, pretty much, like, you were just outed, like, one company. But I think since then, almost every big company in that industry has some of that side into it. Like, even mainstream Pornhub... Or like any of these other ones, like you see the deals that they do with the women that they try to hire, the way they hire them, like you, you hear very similar. Well, the mainstream industry got pretty like in like the 60s and 70s, it was like run by the mafia and shit. And then like it got actually legit, like in the 90s and 2000s. And then like, um, I mean, you would have agents and managers and like it was like being in that sense, it was like being like an actor. Um, and you would agree what you're going to do in the scene, what you're not going to do in the scene, like very professional actually i would argue that with technology with iphones and video cameras and all this stuff that people could have at home then it got super oh, shady okay. because they're not beholden to uh in any in, in industry when they're creating their own stuff yeah they can invite or mm-hmm. abuse them whatever and who's to stop them yeah um and now it's kind of going the other way again where a lot of um and I mean, I'm obviously focusing on just like straight, the women's side of like straight porn and stuff. But like now that you can have just like have an OnlyFans and like not even have to deal with anybody you don't want to. You can either be by yourself or have your boyfriend or whoever. Like 
Um, so now it's kind of swinging the other way where now it's back in the creator's control. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's as much money to be made doing it. Like, like in the 90s and 2000s, like you could be a legit celebrity, like porn star and like be put in like mainstream movies and like you were like a celebrity, you know? I don't think that really exists now with like the OnlyFans thing, but yeah. Well, I think there are celebrities that <laughs> you want to make OnlyFans and make a lot of money. But yeah, the other way around is not very common. Yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Well. Um, a crazy wolf, man. I love the names of the energy drinks. that. Yeah. it's, it's This is very cheap. It's like 20 crowns. Okay. I still am so... You can get like five of those. I'm very bad at like the, the currency, currency conversion. Thing? Yeah, it's so weird. Like the crowns are so weird to convert to. It's, it's, it's a very weird currency to get used to. But like now... After a year here, I'm a little bit used to it. Yeah. Um, wait a second. So, like, at least let's let's. I think in the career journey, we filled up most of the most of the most of the holes. Um, so I guess. Well, I mean, so what are your? I mean, I guess what like if 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 you haven't mentioned anything about your current status, like mention it. I well, so I I have been struggling to find. I mean, that's partially why I left the United States because nothing was keeping me there. Like. Um, mm. I had gotten laid off from a job uh, in New York very unexpectedly. Um, and at that point, I decided to um, just travel for the first time. Like, I'd always wanted to go to Thailand. I'd never been. And so what was supposed to be like – and I booked it like six days later, like super unexpected. I started off in Vietnam. I didn't know it was like their – um, New Year celebration and like U.S. citizens need to get visas approved to get to Vietnam, um, and like it was literally by like ten minutes before the office was closing that I like got it done online, um, and then ended up turning that into like a three and a half month trip through Southeast Asia, and that was like what kind of like wet my palate for traveling and like exposed me to like all these other cultures and was like oh man, and I was thirty two or thirty three when I, that happened. Like so wait, before thirty two, you never left the U.S. Just no, I had like left the U.S., but we don't, you know, with like the holiday time we're given and stuff, and like how long of a flight it is to get from like, you know, like I went the first place I went was actually was was Edinburgh. Um, and when I was a kid, I went to like Mexico and Canada, but I don't remember that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean these the small trips, I guess that that you know barely register, especially like if we're talking like just a week over. Like that, I wouldn't consider those travel, you know, like a, like a tourist week, like whatever. Yeah, but that's but all like, we have. Like, mm, um, so yeah, I mean, so I went. This to, was your first like long term trip, I guess. Yeah. Uh, now, and then I was going to come back to New York and get a job, and that proved to be way harder. And like, I wasn't getting hired and um, struggling with that. And then the pandemic happened, and the pandemic actually saved me in a way. Because it extended my, like, unemployment insurance and, like, uh, we were given... I, I hear so many stories about, like, people getting saved by the pandemic. I really did. Way. I really did, dude. Like, I like I was in I was in Ecuador, actually, when it actually really hit, like, in, you know, March 2020. And um, I was getting money in my U.S. account from, you know, because I'm, like, a U.S. citizen and I lived in New... I was living in New York. But, like... Uh, I, I was stuck kind of in Ecuador where I, I was at a hostel and I was paying like, um, I don't know if you have like a sense of the dollar, but like I was paying like $3 and 50 cents, uh, cents. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My English is uh, a night and, uh, which is insanely cheap, um, at this hostel. And meanwhile, I was getting paid by the government like $1,200 a week. So I was 
making like almost five thousand dollars like a month that's a you know salary. what i mean yeah <laughs> that's not bad and like uh and so that i was able to save money which is how eventually when i made the leap to europe like i had savings mm-hmm. to go off that savings has uh is basically non-existent anymore and i desperately need a job um but and i was trying to do that in berlin but the housing situation like it's just this massive complicated thing so now i'm trying to see if i can just work in a bar or cafe right, and right. in in lisbon is the next place but yeah mm. yeah no i think if you you'll you'll find you'll find a jump shot or if i can do what Christ, you know if i can produce shows like and just i don't need to be rich or anything but just get off survive yeah yeah you can you're you're heading in that direction. I would say you're definitely closer than me <laughs> to getting to that point. Um, I, I produce shows. I produced weekly a weekly showcase when I first started in San Francisco for two years, and then I also produced uh, mm. two show two monthly shows in in Chicago. Uh, none of those I, were I enough saw, to make I, money though. I saw, like, I saw your shorts on YouTube. They're getting quite a bit of views. Which which uh, I don't know. The last one you you posted was like two thousand views, I think, or three thousand. Wait, just the one of the, me doing comedy? Yeah. Oh, I haven't checked that. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know it's that. It's doing really good. Yeah, I, I was like, I remember good. just looking at it. I was like, damn, this guy's shorts are doing really good. Like, Dude, I had no, I literally didn't know that. Fuck. That's cool. Here's the good news. No, because when I put when I put my podcast on YouTube, it gets nothing. And so I just. Yeah, but that's, that's a podcast. I'm I know. Like, I'm fucking watching this. <laughs> so I just didn't, I didn't think to look at it, man. That's so funny. All right, cool, cool, cool. It's <laughs> funny that I'm in your toe. Yeah, it's crazy. Like sometimes I would like look back at a, a video I posted to YouTube like five years ago and just suddenly it'd be like five thousand more views. Which is like it would be like five views before that. Yeah. So like you're it'd be a big surprise. The, still, the, yeah. the most successful videos I've had through the years are ones where I was never trying to like like literally right. there, there was the one, dumbest shit. I had a thing called a ganglion cyst, which is like a cyst under the, and it like won't go away, but they call it a Bible bump because one of the ways to like get it to go down is you take a Bible or the, the heaviest book in the house and smash it. And so I took a video. It's so funny of my roommate smashing my, and like, but I'm not, I, and I uploaded it just cause I thought it was interesting and funny. Like not to like get, you know, I wasn't even, I don't even know if I was doing comedy at the time. And like, those are the videos or like I had like dental work done and like, that's the kind of stuff. Cause people yeah, want to yeah, research yeah. that stuff that gets all the hits. Yeah, man. YouTube, YouTube's a weird place. Yeah. I had, I had, I have technically, well, I don't use it anymore, but like I had a channel where like I was really into anime or a very specific, the fuck, can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's good now. I was really into like one specific uh, anime and I would like, I would make, I made a whole show about comparing the fictional characters in this anime to like their real life counterparts because like it's a fictional it's a fictional characters based off of like characters in history or whatever but I, ma- I made like a like a whole series just 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 about the show yeah and i did that for like five years wow but like when i say i did that for five years i did like one episode <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i have five videos yeah but like i remember like towards the end i was like i hate the show now yeah so i can't i can't make, like when i first started i was like man i love this shit yeah but like towards the end i was like Man, I hate this. Show. I can't. I can't keep making stuff for this now that I hate it. Yeah. And yeah, now I have to. So, the, like, the my lesson from that was: if you ever want to make a YouTube channel, like, try to make it about yourself or about something that's more flexible than a show that you liked once. 
Yeah, I mean, but but then I also hear like the uh, the opposite in the sense that like you want to be highly specialized. So like for Mm. instance, actually, and I really enjoy watching it. It's kind of maybe that says something about me. But when I was living in New York, my first place, we had mice in the walls, and I was going crazy. Like, are these rats? Are these mice? Um, yeah, and I like how you just said that so casually. I uh, do. I later at a different place did have rats in the walls, and they died, and you can smell the carcass like rotting. Um, but um, I started watching this YouTube channel called Mousetrap Mondays, and all it is is this guy showing various mouse traps on, and now people send him like custom built, like three D printed mouse traps. He's making a huge living just filming various wow. mouse and rat traps. Um, so right, highly specialized. Um, yeah, I mean, th- like, see, that's the thing. It's like that's highly specialized, but it's about him. It's not like, well, I guess it, it, yeah, I guess it just it does it does it does depend. Um, for me, it's just if if you, if you can continue to like that specialty, that's that's kind of what matters, right? Like as, yeah. as long, I mean, that's like I liked that show for five years, so that's, yeah. that, that's definitely a long time. But then, like when I grew tired of it, I was like. Well, no more. Well, I, I, my first podcast, yeah. I didn't start it very far from you. I think I started 2013, 2014, yeah. around that time. It was about, it was one of the very, I think it was like the second podcast about Japanese visual novels, which is a yeah. genre of video games. Anyways, yeah. but like, I liked those for a while and like that had quite a bit of views, but then I stopped liking those visual novels and now it's just, it's just like, it's like a whole podcast channel out there that well. no one likes. Or, or like that I don't update but like yeah yeah that's why I mean it's one of the reasons I started this one is like this one's just a little more general it's just hey if I decide to quit comedy next week which I'm not gonna do but like if I do yeah I could just I could just talk to whoever the next guy I mean in whatever yeah. I care about next so it's like it's just a lot more flexible right sure sure um yeah I mean so when did you start your current podcast um i've had like bad podcast luck uh so i first started it in october or november of 2020 and it was originally called an american in berlin and i was trying to go like more specialized like what is it like to be living in berlin let's get into like weird like german culture stuff and like i'd still like the concept of that but literally like the lockdown happened Mm -hmm. in germany and it was like and i was new to germany so like meeting people knowing what's what like it became very difficult Um, I wasn't aware at the time of like, and actually this is like, yeah, I wasn't aware of like really how to work on like uh, Zoom interviews and all that kind of stuff. Uh, editing software, like I was just not up to date. It'd been a long time since I'd messed around with that stuff. Then I couldn't find housing the first time I tried to move to Berlin. It was like now January, 2021. Um, and uh i decided like okay all my my i'm getting my masters and it's like all the classes are online i don't need to be in berlin i can't find housing it's cold it's dark it's locked down you're getting a master's yeah that's how i was able to get into europe is because um yeah there's a whole thing (laughs) i was like like you went over everything but like you just forgot to mention that you're also doing your masters so we i was gonna move to germany but we got banned like i was gonna move oh, august 2020 and then july 2020 they were like hey just kidding everyone's banned from america from the u.s and so uh i went i actually there's like four countries that were accepting us because our covid levels were so high um and one of the countries was albania so i moved to albania That's what, i was like why the fuck did this guy go to albania when, yeah. I, when i first told me i was like yeah. why'd you go to albania I so, like, so i moved to albania i see why <laughs> i moved to albania and i was like looking at getting like a lease for a year but while i was um when I was in Ecuador and eventually could get a flight back to the U.S., like Houston, it was either Houston or Miami that they flew into. 
So I went to Houston and rather than fly again from Houston to New York, um, I decided to rent a car and I took a trip through like the deep South, like 34 person town in Alabama, like scary stuff where I knew I was never going to go otherwise, but I like to expose myself to like weird cultures other than mine. And so I drove from Texas like over a month all the way up um, through all these states up to New York and um, uh, then was going to move to Albania or um, Germany, but we got banned. So I moved to Albania, but in that process, um, when I was in New Orleans on that car trip, I applied for a master's in Germany and I thought, oh, I hear it's free to get a master's there and that could be cool. Uh, that could help with some visa stuff. And they were very late because of the pandemic, like letting students know. So I was already in Albania and then I got this email. I was like, congratulations. You got accepted? Yeah. Um, and then I was like, is it in person or not? And they're like, no, it's it's definitely going to be in person. So then I was with that student status, was able to move to Germany. And then like one week after we started class, like, just kidding, it's all online. So like I actually could have stayed in Albania and saved a bunch of money, like, you know. Um, yeah, I'd imagine like renting in a place like Albania is very, very cheap. I mean, I assume you were looking at the prices. And shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, for short term stuff, and especially if they know like you're uh, like a Western, you know, not local person, they'll charge you way more. But like if I was to get like a year lease um, and commit to that, it is cheaper. Um, but once I got it, you know, got the student status, I went to... Um, I went to Berlin, then I three months there, couldn't find housing, decided like, okay, what's the place that's like in the same general time zone that would be cheaper and warmer? And so Turkey came up. And so then I moved to Turkey for three months. Um, I thought I had a six-month visa, but it turns out you can only stay there three months as a U.S. person. So I uh, – and then the vaccine came out in, in the U.S. and my mom was turning 70 so I had to leave Turkey no matter what. And I said, well, where do I go next? And I said, you know what? I'm going to fly back to the U.S. and get vaccinated and celebrate my mom's mm. birthday. Uh, and then I was there for three months. And then Barcelona, Berlin. Yeah, the hippity hoppity. It's been, dude. Yeah, it's been. I've put a lot of, like, pins in the map in the last, you know, year and a half or whatever. <laughs> yeah. What? Well, well, I tried to do this recently because I also got asked, like, where... Where did you grow up? And I had to do your whole same yeah. hippity hoppity. We went here and then we went here and then back there. And so there's one app. Well, it's not app. It's on Google Maps. You could do this thing where uh, you can map out your trips like that you had in the past. And so, and you can add names and addresses yeah. and like houses. Um, so like if you want to keep track of where you've been, <laughs> it's a good it's a good way. I have that. Yeah, I do. Oh, I, yeah, okay. and I get like the monthly round. I'm really excited for December because it's in like where the Germany and like all doing? around. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, it actually makes me sad because I didn't. You know, you have to like turn on like enable Google location. Maps, yeah. yeah, and location GPS. Yeah, yeah. and uh, which one drains your battery a whole bunch? But like uh, two, like I didn't have it on the whole time. So like there's places like when I was in Puerto Rico or. You know, um, just other, like in Mexico or whatever, like uh, that, that aren't on there. And that makes me sad, but like I can't trace back exactly where. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so helpful because like I'll have friends like, oh, I'm in Nice, France for the weekend. I'm like, dude, you got to go to this restaurant. And I can literally go back to yeah, August yeah, 6th, 2018. Okay, this is the name of the restaurant. You can remember. Yeah. yeah. I meant I want to use that to remember a place that I had gone to like last month. <laughs> but yeah. It helps. It helps to, um, you know, if, if you're a, a drinker and you're like, wait, where was I last night? <laughs> and then you can... <laughs> Where the fuck was I last night? Yeah. Where am I right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Google yeah. Maps. Yeah. 
Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think. Um, well, I guess the last question is like, well, like, what are your your current plans for the future? Like, what? what Where do you see yourself in, in five years? No, 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 not, not that. That's an annoying question. I mean, like, just um, in general, what are your plans for the future? Well, the, 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 the immediate thing is I'm I'm going to be doing, like, my for my master's, I'm going to be doing an Erasmus in Lisbon. Oh, that's pa where you're going to. Yeah, and, but part of it, too, is, like, it'll just be easier to find housing in Lisbon than Berlin. And, like, the struggle, it's so stressful in, in Berlin where, uh, you know, you're just getting these sublets uh, through this website called like Fegegezuk. You have to have an email alert on and then you message the person, hey, I'm really interested, but they're getting 500 messages. So nine out of, you don't get, you then they don't get back to you. And so the, let's say you finally find a place and it's only for three weeks. Like the day that you step foot into that apartment, you have to be looking for your next place, you know? So you're just living out of a backpack and it's so stressful. And uh, so even, you know, if I can find housing for four and a half, five months in Lisbon, that'll just be like such a relief to not have to think about that, you know. Um, but I'll be doing that. And then I'm hoping to like, I would like to actually, I don't know what the scene is over there, but I would like to start comedy, like produce comedy shows there. And um, I want to figure out yeah how to make a living doing that. But I also want to put together like a proper hour Um, and I, I think I have the material. Mm. I just need to create a through line, like what leads to what. And then I would love to, um, it'd be very sweet for me to go back to the Fringe Festival. Uh, <laughs> some, what was there, 2005, like however many years later. Uh, and then go as a comedian and, pre and premiere that hour there. That would be really cool. Awesome. You already have like an hour of material. You saw the hour. Yeah, I wouldn't say sorted out. Like, I mean, I've done. I mean, so the longest. What's I've, the longest you've done? Yeah. The longest I've done uh, was forty-three minutes. Um, wow. Okay, so you definitely have an hour. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean that was that that forty-three minutes. By the way, was like ten years ago or like nine years ago. So like, wow. yeah. Um, is, it, is it very common to do long shows in the U.S.? Like, no. I mean, if you become like a headliner, um, I, I was headlining a show in like this Northern California town, and she just said. She's like, yeah, I mean, uh, can you do 25 minutes? And I was like, can I do longer? And she's like, just do as much as you want. So that's why I say 43 minutes, because I know exactly how long it was. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I did, the, the longest I've done since I started again was probably uh, a month ago. And in Berlin, I did, uh, you know, I did 20 minutes. Um, but that's not because I was out of material. That was because I just, that's how much I got the light, you know, like, I, I think I, I got it. But then I have nights like last night where I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> it happens sometimes where it's all right. Yeah. I, yesterday, I did feel that the audience was like not the easiest, but yeah, you could have also done better. Hey, no, 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 it's fine. <laughs> Shit it was, well, half, half the stuff was like new, you know, I had yeah, just done at the open mic the, the couple days before and I do need to like work that stuff out. But I thought it was still in a good enough place that it was going to... And then my stuff that I had done before that, like, usually always works didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah, and that, 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 that hurts like, the most. Like, when, yeah. you, when you do a bit that's always worked and then suddenly it doesn't, you're like, the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, I did I did the whatever my supposed uh, huge viral video on YouTube. I haven't... No, but, like, I did... I did and, like, that didn't really work. You know, like, I was like, jeez, man, like... Uh, <laughs> well... Yeah. <laughs> it's all right bro thanks things, man things will appreciate work out. it yeah your video your, your video did get a lot of views so all right i gotta you're check in, it you're gonna go back home you're gonna look at it like damn <laughs> <Just> <laughs> i keep, love that feeling keep refreshing <laughs> <laughs> like that.
<laughs> oh man, maybe all those 2000 views were yours refreshing. But yeah, maybe that be. was just me refreshing. <laughs> <too. laughs> I can give you this whole moment of the podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's awesome. I wish you the best in this career and in other careers and all of your careers. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. You too. Uh, it was awesome. It was awesome getting to know you and. Yeah, I think I'm supposed to have an outro. Well, you have your own podcast, so I, I guess I will probably link to it. Um, I mean, if this is a video, somewhere here and uh, somewhere down in the description elsewhere. Uh, what's it? What's your podcast called? It's called Eric on the World. Yeah, yeah, Eric on the World. Eric on the World. I actually enjoyed his podcast. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, I have a podcast, and then you listen to it, and it's like, okay. But like now, you you're actually like interesting to listen to. So check him out, Eric on the World. He's a fun guy. <laughs> give him some views he needs it <laughs> it's alright right. subscribe everything it's on Spotify and everything right or just it's on all the things it's yeah. on all the things yeah on all the things I will link to all the things and yeah that's all see you guys later bye bye bye